0: welcome to Non-Breaking Space, which you can find online at nonbreakingspace.tv. Non-Breaking Space is a show where we'll seek out the best, brightest, and smartest folks on the web and talk about how and why they do what they do. Your hosts are Christopher Schmidt and Dave McFarlane, two web designers, authors, and trainers who have a passion for sharing knowledge about the web. I'm Chris from Canada, web designer and podcaster, Christopher and Dave, and i invited along to help push the record button, keep everyone on track here at non Space. Our guest for this episode is John Rohan. John is an engineer and designer at GitHub, and he recently spoke at CSS DeadConf, in Hawaii on GitHub CSS performance. So, without further ado, I'll turn it over to
1: Christopher and Dave in a conversation with John. Well, thanks, Chris. Hey, Dave, how's it going?
2: Hi, Christopher. Uh, it's going well. I've been spending been the last few days uh, doing SAS stuff, getting, yeah. getting deep into SAS, and uh, it's fun. It's interesting. Right. It's a compass I haven't quite grokked yet. I'm having some trouble getting my. Getting my thing set up to use Compass. I'm using CodeKit, which I love.
1: Yeah.
2: Um but I've been making my own mix ins with SaaS and it's fun.
1: It's yeah. great. Yeah, I saw your animation one uh for that was on Code that you tweeted out the uh, the other day. So uh so so what what brought up on this uh SAS fest that you're having right now? Is it? Oh, it
2: 'cause I'm presenting on it at your conference. Oh,
1: month. cool. Awesome, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Motivation. I
2: figured I should, that. you know, yeah. Yeah. get up on running since I'm okay. talking about it. <laughs>
1: okay, cool. Well, yeah. Well, I guess that's one way to do that. But <laughs> tell me there's like a personal project that you wanted to like use it on or something like that. So, yeah, cool. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, I liked your animation example on CodePen that you have there. I was just, I was actually trying to rock that. Actually, so I was just like, oh. yeah, I think
2: it's, you know, so I created a mix in for, for animation just to make it so that you can use kind of nearly. Uh, the regular syntax for animation, but then have have um, Sass basically extrapolate that to add all the vendor prefixes and stuff like that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And you know, I I mean, I haven't thoroughly tested it. No one's tested it, so I, I don't know if they're you know perfect, but um, they work pretty well. And I mean, Compass at this point, I don't see they don't have animation mixins yet, uh, as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. So um, so this is good to have them. Cool.
1: Awesome. And then um, really, and also like what our, our, our guest for today is having to uh, talk about uh, CSS performance issues and uh, at the CSS DevCom. So we should bring him in and talk more about right. it.
0: Hey. Hey, hey, Chris, Christopher, Dave. Thanks for having me.
2: Well, well, Pet John. Thanks for being here. Yeah. yeah. Um, no maybe you could uh, just start by introducing yourself, like, you know, what your background is, how you, sure. how you got into the industry and, and what you're working on now.
0: Well, uh, currently I'm... Uh, a front-end engineer at uh, GitHub. I do design also. Um, my latest, my latest uh, ship was the new GitHub code search. Um, I've been at GitHub for a year now, and I've sort of been working my way around the bay, kind of working with various startups before that. Um, I've been coding front-end HTML stuff since back in the days of you know, GeoCities and <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. I, I, I think maybe my first website might have been like 96-ish, I guess. Nice. Cool. What was it about? What was it about? Uh, it was a band fan page for, for Blur. Nice. <laughs> it's a British rock band. <laughs> nice. Yes. Yeah, totally.
1: Dude, we don't live on a rock over here. We know about Blur. <laughs> <laughs> cool.
0: cool. Yeah. Great way to start. Right. Yeah, and, you know, I uh, love what I do and I'm just sort of building the best stuff I can. Right. right.
1: Awesome. So, yeah. I think um, my first web pages was for uh, a fan site for U2, which uh, I just did that because no one's heard of U2. And I just want to make sure people <laughs> know much is about it. So.
2: Yeah. It's really, you were kind of the one stop uh, place for people to learn about U2, I guess.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Cool. Oh. And is, is that still around? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, Bono, Bono paid you to take it down, I bet. Pretty much. Just <laughs> cool. Well, um, maybe we could start by talking a little bit about CSS performance, since that's um, John, you gave a, a great talk on, on that in, in Hawaii. Um, and maybe you could talk a little bit about GitHub's troubles that you guys were encountering, performance troubles related around CSS. What were some of the problems that you guys were noticing?
0: Yeah, no problem. Um, well, to start it off, I'll say before this, um, I kind of, I, you know, I knew this this techniques that most people kind of know about performance, where you know you want to reduce uh, calls to the server and and try to like get the load of uh, the What's downloaded to the user's browser is as mm-hmm. slow as possible, and we've been doing a lot of that stuff at GitHub, but there was a few pages where we sort of like we, we knew that uh, the yeah. like even though we did all that stuff, it was it was still extremely slow on these pages. Um, and what was actually happening was uh, we just had way too much on the page. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, if you're familiar with GitHub, we have pages that are are they're called pull requests, where we sort of lay out all the code that somebody wants to uh, push into another uh, code base. Mm-hmm. And it kind of it makes sense to really just show that all in one page, so somebody can get a like overview of what's what's changing on their code base if they bring this code in. Well, that can lead to like thousands of. Uh, HTML uh, things that we would have on some of these really, really big pages.
3: Right, right.
0: And, um, you know, we we started noticing this, and this was, like, really... It was kind of an exploring area for all of us because we we were like, well, what the heck is going on? You know, none of us had really seen anything like that. It just took a lot of, like... of um, uh, testing and, and... and figuring out what what exactly is happening.
2: So, what was what were you guys noticing? Like, the page would take a really long time to load or to be uh, drawn, or
0: right, right. So, the the page would would be downloaded, and then it would we would notice like you know somewhere upwards in the thirty seconds range of recalculating styles. Uh, what that means is once the page is downloaded, uh, the browser will apply the style sheets, and then. You know, maybe you have a little bit of JavaScript going on that will hide an element or show an element or shift something, and then once that happens, the browser actually has to go all the way back down the page again and and recalculate all these styles. And Mm -hmm. you know, if you have some kind of runaway JavaScript, this can happen a lot of times on your page and can uh, really slow down the performance.
2: So you were uh, in your talk. You talked about the page, uh, like eighty percent of the page load time was this recalculation of the the styles. Is that
0: right? Yeah, approximately eighty percent of the of just loading the page was recalculating. It was kind of, which was on one of our pages. One of the pages that we used as kind of a test case was was uh, taking twenty eight seconds to load.
2: Wow. <laughs> and so what what kind of tools did you use to to diagnose that problem? Like how did you know that it was the recalculating of the styles that was causing this big bottleneck?
0: Uh yeah, so um Webkit uh at the time Webkit was just uh launching some um cool new features in their their uh web inspector where you could profile the page and see actually a timeline of all the events that are going on as their page is loading
3: mm-hmm.
0: and uh in there it has some ex- extremely useful information of like you know it just how many milliseconds each recalculating st- call is is uh taking, and like what sort of like you can kind of trace it back up to like what sort of caused this waterfall of of recalculating styles.
2: Right. Cool. So this is like uh, I'm looking at Chrome right now, and if you go like into Developer's Tool, is this where would you find this? Is this under Timeline or Profiles that you? Uh,
0: timeline. Timeline. Yeah.
2: Timeline. Yeah,
0: and you'd you'd want to open it up, and then you can uh, hit the record button, and then you reload your page, and you can see the whole uh, the whole page being re- rendered out. Cool.
2: Very cool. So this is a technique that, you know, listeners could, could do if they feel like their page seems like it's not performing that quickly. They could right. go open in Chrome, open the developer's tools, go to the timeline, record it, and then reload the page. And then right. it'll break it down into what kind what kind of uh, things will it tell you.
0: Uh, right. Um, and I actually, I, I learned this at, at the uh, conference from uh, Paul Irish, but <laughs> he calls it... Uh, Looking for jank in your page? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What what he means is, um, you know, more and more we're putting animations and stuff into pages, and um, if you program that stuff incorrectly, then you'll get sort of shaky performance on that, you know, because the browser can only handle so much. And the tool really is great for looking at frame per, frames per second and and calculation styles and even with the newest uh the newest release you can uh click directly through to the javascript causing the problems which is uh, pretty pretty epic right
2: right cool so um were these problems uh largely javascript related or were I mean, if you stripped out the JavaScript, you still mm-hmm. were encountering a lot of problems just related to the size right. of the DOM and the complexity of your CSS.
0: Right. Uh, CSS is a big part of it, too. Um, the The file tables, or the file diff pages were our table layout, um, and we do that mainly because of the line numbers.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, with with the table... Or uh, with most of the table layout, some of the times the columns aren't really actually calculated with until they put content in them. Right, right. And uh, that can cause some sort of like cascading effects down the down the uh, page when you know a, a table is kind of loaded, and then the column has to be recalculated for something that's like way down at the bottom, maybe. Uh, and there's also a lot of different things. Um, I don't know if anybody saw my talk, but uh, in there we we sort of discovered all these kind of like small techniques of um, how to how to like write your CSS better, you know, because we were we were kind of looking at it, how much of the CSS on the page is actually affecting the the load. Right. Yeah. Uh, some of the things I go into are just like uh you know try and avoid the star selector which is kind of bad. Um using using just HTML elements is uh is worse performance than using uh CSS uh class names.
1: Oh really? Man. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well yeah I know right. about the star selector because like the star selector is applies you have to apply the element, the styles to all the elements and it has to right you would think I'd ask compute all that you know on just on mm-hmm. d- and everything else, but so you're saying that using like a generic or general element selector is slower than using class
0: right right and the reason is because um the class rules are actually indexed in a, a hash uh that the browser uh creates on load and the the elements are um they're actually calculated like. Uh, organically, you know what I mean? hmm Um, so the, there's, there's two places where, where, uh, WebKit indexes these things. Yeah. Uh, one of them is a tags rules class and the other ones are the class rules, which is, uh, is just faster because it's a, uh, uh, hash rather than hmm. the, um, the tag rules looks at inheritance and, uh. Could you explain what a hash is? Just like
1: what means like
0: this? It's like a. I'm saying hash because I'm sort of in the Ruby world, but (laughs) it's it's an array where you it's like a key value store where you just look up a value for a certain key, Mm -hmm. and the key being it's like a lookup table. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: So it's it's just a way that a browser can sort of optimize its understanding of the page. Um, right and the uh, the classes in in the structure of the page. Now, um, is this true? Did you guys find differences across browsers? Like, for example, does Firefox and do IE and Opera have similar ways that they uh, create these hashes, uh, or was this kind of a WebKit does something completely different?
0: Um, we 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 sort of we, we our main target was WebKit in this uh, uh, performance look because. Mm-hmm uh about seventy percent of our traffic is webkit wow um, you know i i am not i can't speak into depth on on how i e or firefox uh, does the things but you mm-hmm. know the the ideas are pretty similar and once we we kind of fixed these problems in webkit, we saw the performance in, increase over, overall
2: wow that's cool so Classes instead of element names. Um, I also noticed that you you talked about uh, avoiding like kind of unnecessarily qualifying a uh, right a selector. Right. So for example, you know instead of ul dot menu, just dot mm-hmm. menu is dot menu will be faster than ul dot menu.
0: Right, right. Um, and you know when when you add that ul, I, I do it sometimes too, just out of habit. But um, that that's an extra lookup that if you have tens of thousands of elements that are matching that, then it can actually take a performance hit in the recalculating styles.
2: Interesting. Well, that's good to know. I mean, I think some people might just intuitively think it's the opposite because they think, oh, I'm providing a more qualified name. It should be easier to identify because it's a smaller, you know, Mm -hmm. set that I'm trying to extract. But, but you're saying that, because of that it has to do kind of double duty. It's got to look for UL and it has to look for dot menu instead right. of just looking up the class, which is a quicker sort of computation. Right. Cool. Good, good to know. Yeah. And you also talk about having no ancestors, like that ancestors cause a problem. What do you what do you mean by that?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh well remember I was saying that how tag lookups are, are slightly uh harder to look up. But uh-huh. when you have uh an ancestors as in like Probably the worst selector I could I could think of would be like if you did HTML div uh, TR TD and just had like each HTML tag in a long selector class what what the browser is actually doing is it starts on the right and it look and it finds all the TDs on the page and then it starts uh, bubbling up and, and seeing okay well here's some more selectors mm. that don't match the TD TD under a TR and then it Keeps going up in that way, so
1: uh, so when it, you yeah it keeps on doing the search over and over again until it it reaches it, it,
0: the top. Yeah, it reaches
1: the top, and it's it like okay, I've done my searching for this selector. Um, interesting. And so I'm gonna, But if you just had a tr, it's so you would just like oh, I just did this one search. I don't have to keep on qualifying it anymore. Yeah. So okay, awesome. Interesting.
2: Interesting. So it, it has to start with a huge set, and then each. Additional kind of selector you add as part of a descendant selector, it has to sort of winnow away,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, again and again and again and again. So the more elements you put into a descendant selector, the the less performant that selector is going to be. Right, yeah, that's cool. I, I didn't know that. So is that is that true? Also, I mean, is that just generally true with descendant selectors? So you had descendant selector that was composed of you know three classes. Would that also be less performant than just a selector with a single class? I assume.
0: Um, I believe so. Yes. Uh, I think. I think in the the if you're just using classes in that way, sometimes it's better just to write um, a longer class name to make it more you know, um, identifiable on the page.
2: Mm -hmm. Right, right. And now, I mean, we're talking about, I mean, part of the problem with GitHub is you have some of these pages as you're describing because they, you know, you're tracking, you know, thousands of lines of code in somebody's, you know, repository that Mm -hmm. you're talking massive HTML, right? Like really, really large DOM, larger than, you know, the average, let's say, person's (laughs) website
3: page, right. right? So It'd for be, you guys,
2: any, any performance improvement is going to be huge. I mean, you're really going to feel it on one of the, some of these really big pages.
0: Right, right. Um, the example I used in my talk was, uh, I think it was 9,000 lines of code. And we can kind of consider that a, a medium diff. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so 9,000 lines of HTML code? or Yeah, or, I've just,
0: yeah. I've just um, lines okay, changed. Okay, right, right. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> like s- some of the worst ones are, are you know? Pe- sometimes people will add or delete a library to their code base, and it'll be huge. You know, like tens or hundreds of thousands of line, depending on right. what they're adding and deleting. But the way we wrote our HTML, uh, each line had like, um, I don't know, somewhere between ten and eleven, just DOM elements in the page. Mm-hmm. So, in addition to to looking at like what, so, what kind of things can we uh, can we uh, do with the CSS and the JavaScript? We wanted to try to like clean up and clear up the the HTML as poss- much as possible, too.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. So um, let's go through a few more of these CSS things because this is really totally useful and I'm learning a lot.
3: <laughs> so
2: uh, we're, you talk about um, un- an unqualified selector and that you should avoid those. What's an unqualified selector?
0: Um, the, the, the example that people know the most is the star selector. And, and that's just meaning, like, here's sort of a, a general selector of um, some elements that may or ma- may not match some stuff. But it's gonna require calculating when the, the browser um looks at all the elements. It's not it's not something like a class element is like, okay, it has a class or it doesn't have a class, right? But uh in the in qualified things, maybe you're looking at, well, here's partial class names, or does um does the thing does the element have an attribute? Uh is the element you know the last child or something like that. And when you do all those things and and don't have a class name or anything, uh, that's just as bad as as doing the star selector.
3: Right.
2: So this is interesting, the star selector, because you know there's been you know, and Paul Irish posted about this a sort of um, around box sizing. You know, there's mm-hmm. been people saying, oh, we you should use the star selector to apply you know a border box for box sizing to your pages, and that way you can you know come up with a new box model. That is better for fluid layouts or or in responsive designs, um, but it sounds like that's not such a great idea
0: <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's it's all about situation too you know uh, some some pages don't have you know a, a huge uh, o- overtaking of um, elements in, in the star selector, although maybe sm- slightly less performant than a class selector or a tag selector it's not going to make a huge difference on their page you know
2: right 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 so if you're talking about a, a you know you have a web page with 20 dom elements versus one that has 9000 you're going to yeah yeah you know, you're not going to notice the performance problems as much
0: mm-hmm. right um another part of my talk uh, I talk about uh chaining mhm and uh and actually, well we found that chaining like so sometimes maybe you'll add like selectors to a class or to a tag where you're saying this thing is small, it's blue, it's to the right, and these are all separate class names, and when they're all together, I want it to look like this. well, it's actually kind of uh you know because it's the same sort of thing as the um no ancestors is when you have the extra class names it's it's um doing multiple lookups into the the lookup table of of uh, CSS uh, declarations so right, it's better right. just to use something that's more declarative of like here's one class name that um, describes this element
2: right right so when you talk about chaining you mean like you have two classes applied to a single element and then you have a selector that's like dot class one. Dot class two, right. not a descendant selector. They're stuck together. It's the, mm-hmm. that's the chaining part, right? So you're saying basically both classes have to be applied in order for this selector to, uh, or this rule to, to take effect. And that that's really not so great. That's really non-performant. So what would be the solution? What do you, what would be a better uh, approach then?
0: Just uh, rewrite, rewrite the class name. You know, and be more descriptive. Uh, so just so have a
2: single class name. And then uh-huh. combine you know, all the, the styling into that one class.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and cool. I'm not saying you can't have multiple classes on an element, but when you're calling it in your CSS, it's better to use a single class name than to, rather than having chaining on your uh, CSS selector.
2: Right, right. So do you want to talk a little bit about the HTML problems that you encountered and, <laughs> and what, how you tried to, to deal with that?
0: Right, right. Um and this I think blew most people's minds when I was talking about it at the uh, at the conference. But some of the things we looked at doing uh when we're trying to figure this out was um uh how can we cut down the amount of HTML? Um of course the first like obvious approach would be well load up don't load up the the file stuff until People scroll. But, uh, we 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 tried some of those things, and you know, there's a lot of problems just in our situation where that really wouldn't work. Uh, such as sometimes people want to find like a certain line, or, or maybe you look at a file diff and you need to look for a keyword in the page, and people use a browser search. And we sort of went against that idea, and and actually looked at cutting down the h t m l and some of the things we did was um well w- we found that if we reduce the amount of of matched elements on the page, then that uh resulted in performance on the uh style calculations right, right. And what I mean is um I, I, I've heard this term a long time ago, uh, div soup. I don't know if anybody's ever <laughs> heard that. but but you know, we went from this like uh, before two thousand, like people would write layouts with tables, and then people would like write tableless layouts, so then everyone just had divs everywhere
3: mm-hmm.
0: well, having having a lot of the same things on the page. When you write your selectors, you're actually uh, matching a lot of stuff, and maybe, maybe even though you're have it in such a way that uh, you're over like uh, overriding stuff with inheritance, you're still you know it's still got to calculate those things on page load, which in our case was causing some problems. So, um, one of the first things we tried was was uh, removing some unnecessary stuff. So we removed some, uh, divs that we kind of like could rework how the thing is displayed and it, it removed around 6,000 unnecessary divs. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Just on, just on that one page, which was pretty, pretty, uh, epic. Um, the, one of the, uh, Weirdest and and coolest uh, uh, render speed improvements was uh, for each line number we had a link uh, wrapping an anchor tag wrapping the the line number so you could mm-hmm. so you could click it and get the get the uh, you know direct uh, position of that page and share it with people right right mm-hmm. uh, so each one of those anchor tags was like was causing a lot of uh, performance problems because we had a lot of selectors that were matching anchors on the on the page. So we we did a little bit of javascript for just creating linkable line numbers and and move that directly up to the td and that that actually improved the render speed by about like 37% on that page. What? what? <laughs> That's
1: awesome. Wow. Yeah. So so you made the uh, td clickable and then you just got rid of it. Right, right. Okay.
0: Rather than having the the anchor clickable, and and you know that I I, I can say that's sort of a bad thing with um accessibility, but uh, we're not really I don't know it, it's trade offs, right? You gotta you gotta look at whether it's better to to have you know just a something that somebody could click to link that page, or you know have a faster page. Uh, one of the more interesting things too is, um, well, we have this uh, we have this comment bubble on each line that kind of like appears as you like look through your your divs, okay. uh, your your file uh, diffs. Mm-hmm. And each comment bubble was a div, um, and we would just float it out to the side, which is you know, like I said, div soup. It was kind of You know, we you need an element, you just throw a div or a span there, right? Um, Well, what we did was we actually changed it to a a tag that we hardly ever use across the site, which is a depreciated b tag. Mm -hmm. And uh, we saw like a a tiny uh, bump in performance. It was like four percent speed improvement Hmm. over that page, but it, it really illustrated the idea that if you you know, if you have a lot of uh, the same elements on a page, and you want to kind of like call it out better by itself, I mean, we weren't even like we weren't even matching it with uh, div add bubble. We were we were uh, matching it with just the class name, but
3: mm-hmm.
0: because it, the div was being used in our res- reset styles and everywhere else, it's it was just being matched too much. Hmm
2: cool so i mean you're we're it's we're not just talking about cutting down html for load time but we're you're really talking about how html and css interact that you you want to cut down on your html uh, elements um, not just to make it a smaller file so it goes faster across the pipes but Because the browser has to do all this work with matching up CSS with the elements, and the fewer elements you have, the less work a browser has to do in terms of formatting the page and doing these these redraws. Is that right? Yes.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Cool.
2: So, do you guys use SASS?
0: Uh, yeah, we do. We uh, we switched uh, completely to it in the last year, and um, it's you know I love SASS. I especially loved it when they started doing SCSS
3: mm-hmm, right?
0: Um, because it, you know, it's a no brainer to sort of like mix in um, your old style sheets with, with uh, new SAS improvements. Right. Yeah my, yeah. my problem with the previous version was like, say, say you're an existing website with a huge CSS code base. Uh, you'd have to rewrite everything just to get it to work with the SAS processor. But, uh, we do we definitely do love using the sas currently
2: yeah, yeah, for those listeners who aren't you know up with sas I mean SAS had these two variants there it started originally with the uh, the s a s s version, which mm-hmm. um you know in order to make things more efficient for somebody writing, it left out a lot of the stuff that we normally put into our c s s like braces and stuff like that, so it was like this sort of shorthand that you could write, but it was not. CSS and the newer version, which is SCSS, you can literally just put normal CSS into a SAS file and it is perfectly happy and compiles, you know, into just regular CSS. And I mean, in in some ways, you can just use SAS not even without any of the SAS stuff, just for some of the benefits of managing files. For example, being able to import a bunch of separate CSS files to create one. Larger file, so you can sort of compartmentalize your working copies and come out with uh, a finished uh, .css file, which is you know a single file, meaning it's it's more performant in terms of uh, server requests, Um, and you can uh, even uh, use it just to take advantage of. um like the minification, like SAS lets you mm. minify stuff. So you could write regular CSS and just use SAS to, to minify your CSS to get a, a nice small file size. Yeah. Um with the current, you know, SCSS mode in SAS. Yeah, it's it's super cool. How do you guys work with SAS on a team? Like um, who's responsible for touching the SCSS file and and or how do you
0: uh we have a large team of uh around 12 or 14 uh actual front end engineer slash designer people who you know know css and know how to work with it properly but we d- we don't really like limit it to just those people um, anybody who needs to make a change or anything like that, we allow them to. And mm-hmm. because of the inherent way that we work, and because of, we use GitHub, we can we can monitor changes really easily and, and give feedback and actually grow people to mm-hmm. you know know how to use uh, code CSS better. All
2: right. Cool. Do, so do you guys have? Uh, do you compartmentalize your CSS? In other words, you have a bunch of uh, uh, yes. CSS files for different you know, tasks.
0: Right. We, uh, so, uh, the way we kind of break everything up is mainly, um, either feature or page, uh, specific. mm mm-hmm. And we, we break up all the, um, style sheets into smaller style sheets, which just makes it easier for development. Sure. Um, and we also we started extracting a lot of the common things that we use across all our, our uh properties into uh sort of a it's it's kind of similar to twitter bootstrap but it's uh it's um internal gem that we use to kind of just move around certain things that we can use everywhere mm-hmm. like um our icons which is a font icon is used around like the or moved around easily that way. Uh, button styles, form styles. There's 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 things about a page that's sort of just like is the DNA of a, a design. Mm-hmm. And and when you're a company that has multiple web properties, you kind of want to, you know, you want them each to be unique, but you also want sort of that spirit to kind of live on all the pages. Then you can do something like that. And SASS it makes it super simple. Cool. So,
2: um, you just were talking about these these icons here. Like on GitHub, you have icons all over the place for create a new repo, you know, account settings, that kind of stuff. The pull request button has a little icon for it, and unwatch and stuff like that. These um, is this a font icon that you guys created?
0: Right, right. And actually, I I, I'm the uh, responsible party for that. (laughs) Half half the responsible parties then. I I can take part of the blame. Right, so we, I mean, yeah. Well, what was the, uh,
1: the the impetus behind like doing your own custom font? I mean, because
0: right. there's, there's been
1: a lot of talks about like you know we talked about optimization and uh, of icons and, and one ways to go about doing that is like CSS sprites, for example. And mm-hmm. and so, but you guys took it upon yourself to like, bam, I'm gonna make an icon font. You know, we're forget right. like what what was the driving force behind that?
0: Uh, well. For years before that, I, I don't know if anybody can remember now, but we used uh an open source icon set called Fam Fam Fam, mm-hmm. yeah. which is uh which was great, you know, but it was it's it's pretty dated and um it's used on a lot of sites now. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we the first part was we want something that is uniquely GitHub, right? Where we were for we were using smiley faces for public repos. It was kind of like <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really make any sense, but that's just what we picked when we were, you know, five people and launching a site. Yeah, I
1: figure guys really loved Polar Repos and that's why you went for these <laughs> phases. Uh
0: so that that was the first like oh, we gotta change these into something that we wanna do. And well, you know a lot of our coders would like to zoom in their pages and and with uh, iPhones and iPads coming out retina was like starting to become a thing and we want something scalable so we we looked at we we first started looking at svgs as um as a solution to that uh you know having something that's just scalable and and easily mm-hmm. uh colored and uh some of the problems we ran into with that was you can't really have a true SVG sprite on some browsers, and um, right. you'd have to actually embed just a single file into the page for each image. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Firefox, uh, I when, when we looked at it, this was how Firefox was. I don't know if it is currently, but when you used an SVG as a background image on uh, Firefox, it would... It would actually just draw it at the size and and not make it scalable. So if you zoomed in or anything like that, it would it would be blurry. Which you're like, whoa, oh. yeah. Kind of. It's <laughs> like that's not really vector graphics, but <clears throat> so it would,
2: it would render it just like a regular graphic and like a bitmap and leave it. That yeah, way. yeah. Huh,
0: uh, you could you could render it at any size, but once it right. was rendered at that size, it was not. You know, it was bitmapped. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, so we were like, well, let's start looking at this uh, font icon. Uh, you know, I think there was maybe one out at the time, um, and we started playing with the idea of, well, maybe we can create a font icon and and have these things that are easily colorable and scalable. And really, the the it was kind of teetering on the idea with the font icon until we figured out how to really make them crisp and clear. Because when we first started trying it, like things were blurry, and mm-hmm. we we're like, "Well, this isn't going to work. We don't really want blurry icons, right?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So we 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 chose it because it was quickly scalable. It was all contained into one file, which was downloaded, and um, you know we could use it. On any of our properties, we even use it in some of our mobile apps. Not in the web, but it, like actually, uh-huh. you know, in our Android app, it's actually rendering the font icon. Oh,
2: really? Yeah.
0: For for all the icons, which you know, that's a great win, right?
2: Right, right. That's cool. So, who who designed the icons, and and how'd you get it made? And
0: um, uh, one of our designers, Cameron McAfee, did a lot of them, um, and he's he's still, you know highly invested in that uh (laughs) cool i I sort of was was uh instrumental in creating how they like are applied on the page Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: yeah they look great i mean they're totally cool and they're you know totally unique right because they're based around the processes of using github like the pull request i love the pull request icon yeah, and on the branch is it really good
1: too. <laughs> so, so, so how long from like start to finish did you like realize like okay, one, we need we we realize that the 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 power and the savings that an icon of font will give us. Like, I, from how long did it take you to uh, make the icon of font where you already decided that we need new metaphors, new like, like visual metaphors, mm-hmm. and you're just working your way. Uh, all those metaphors, and then you decided, okay, let's make this an icon font instead of bitmap graphics and something of like that. Like, so you know, like,
0: what was the staging,
1: um, like process work like, like? We
0: we we first seriously started talking about it in uh, January, and you know, I, icon fonts were sort of just a back burner idea, but um, we 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 kind of knew that we really wanted something. This, I'm talking about last January, by the way. Uh, so we're like, we, we really need something, you know, better than just using a public set, right? Mm-hmm, right. So we started talking about that in January, and probably a couple of months went by where um, we were kind of just exploring options and and, and testing out some things, uh, and then it really started becoming clear that we could make uh, a font icon uh, set and ha- and use it. Um, probably in April, and then it launched in early May. Wow!
1: So it's fast turnaround time. And, and what tools do you guys use to actually make the font? Like I know there's well, there's applications out there, but what you know what's physically to use to make your your kind of font?
0: Um, so our our process, which uh, is actually in the process of, ch- of changing a little bit, but when we first were trying to figure it out, we would we would draw the glyphs in Illustrator. Um, we we would copy the paths to um, Photoshop, and, and we I think we did that just because we found it was it would normalize the the um, paths easily for us rather than getting it out of Illustrator. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> so we would take those paths and we put them in a program called um, Glyphs, which is uh it's it's kind of a lightweight. Um, Font uh, design creation tool, which we you know it, it was kind of the right amount of power that we needed at the time. Right. So you can you can create you can copy those paths directly into glyphs and, and assign them Unicode values, and then spit out a uh, a font file. Mm-hmm. And from that, we we would take that one font file that it spit out, and we would go to. Um font squirrel, which is a, a ser- it's a web service that will take a file and spit out uh, web-enabled fonts for you.
1: Right. And font squirrel is your is, is an awesome tool. Yeah, yeah. Cool.
0: Yeah, so we would we would send we would upload an OTF file to uh font squirrel, which isn't really a web file, and it, it would uh it would give us all the necessary web font stuff that we need.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, and um, Glyphs is I'm just looking at it right now. I just you know, uh, it's like three hundred dollars at the Mac App Store. So it's uh, mm-hmm. and it's the quote the font editor for everyone. So
3: <laughs>
1: <very good. laughs> but, yeah, cool. But yeah, but like which is really you know, I mean like you know, not everyone you know making your own type typefaces. Not so it takes a lot of time and and
0: oh uh, yeah yeah value to That's do so, yeah, and it took that whole. That whole workflow that I described we would have to do like you know multiple times per each <laughs> path, sure. you know, maybe you would get all the way down and you would see, "Oh, this thing is blurry. I moved it up a pixel by accident, mm. then you're like, oh man i gotta, I gotta read <laughs> it it's not like right. it's not like hitting command R, you just have to go through the whole workflow again, right so that took a lot of time
1: yeah and, and you said that you might have is this the workflow you're talking about that you've you've like Streamline a little bit more, uh, more or is it just you still have to, like, go yeah back so and...
0: we we actually we started looking into making it more automated mm. um, we're we're we haven't like completely finished that process yet but what we want uh, I think we found some some uh i don't know. I'm trying to look at the repo right now we we found some uh scripts that will will uh, create font files for us. And what we're trying to do is build a repo where we can just drop a .svg file into a folder and then via uh, um, a config file actually spit out the fonts that we need, you know, or the icons we need in the font.
2: Right. cool. That would be and great. You know, <laughs> right, so. And then when you figure that out, you're going to let us all know? So we can just <laughs> so, use that. That yeah, sounds possibly. great. Let's talk about some of the tools um, that you guys use to, uh, you know, assess how your performance around CSS. Um, mm-hmm. There's a tool that you talked about in your, in your um, uh, the, what do you call those things? Talks. <laughs> the talk you gave um, called CSS Explain. Can you uh-huh.
0: tell us, what is that? Okay, so um, one of my coworkers, uh, Josh, uh, he was... He was extremely instrumental in uh, looking through all this with us, and he is a—he's uh, an awesome JavaScript programmer. He wrote this tool that would uh, actually—it um, would analyze all your selectors and tell you which ones are sort of, you know, kind of bad selectors according mm-hmm. to what, what I was saying earlier. So. If, uh, it's just a it's a repo Josh githubcom slash josh slash CSS hyphen explain and it's it, he explains it as SQL explain for selectors if you for databasey people out there <laughs> but you can you can um, you can basically pass it a CSS selector and it will tell you like wh- where it's indexed and sort of what the um, what the scoring is of how bad or good that is
2: oh yeah this is great so um for you guys out there listening it's uh, josh.github.com slash css explain and that's the actual page where with all the javascript running on it and you can drop in a selector and then it will will rank it, and it'll has a little nice little bar graph that turns redder and redder and redder. The worse the selector becomes. <laughs> um, this is cool. Yeah, this is really cool. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I told him. I told him I was going to tell the world about it, and he was like, oh, know." <laughs> <laughs> now, I, now I need to start working on it.
2: <laughs> yeah, this is great. Yeah, so this is worth checking out. Um, you in your talk, you also talked about doing. Uh, audits of your CSS, what what do you mean by an audit? And what's the process involved in in auditing, you know, CSS?
0: Uh, well, GitHub, like most, um, you know, older web... GitHub's been around for a while and, you know, the features aren't like... The features are slowly rolled out and sometimes CSS will kind of linger when it's not actually being used anymore. Right, right. Uh, and when you have, you know... Thousands of lines of CN- CSS. It's hard to kind of pick out the stuff that isn't being used anymore. So, part of part of making it easier to do that was to or to find those things was using um, WebKit's profiler. And what that actually does is you can go to a single page and run it when the page loads, and it will tell you. Um, which Which uh, selectors are being used most on that page? Oh, hmm. let me see that's the profiler and the audit there's an audit tool also which will tell you per style sheet um, how much uh, or what percentage of it is not used and you can hmm. you can uh, like click those open and, and actually look at the selectors not being used and like I said before I said earlier in our saAS process we we um, we split everything out into pages, which makes it easier for development, but it also makes it easier for, for auditing when you know that like, a CSS is sort of married to, maybe it's married to the search uh, functionality. In, in our dev mode, when it's not all compiled together, you can run this audit tool and actually see parts of the page that, are parts of the style sheet that aren't being used anymore. And. and wow remove that c s s you
2: know right, right cool and then so it's you open, have to be you have to be somewhat careful right because I mean it's basically just telling you the c s s rules that are not applied to the current page right doesn't right, necessarily right. mean you, another page of your site relies on those, those right, rules right. so you can't just yeah. strip them out you gotta you gotta be very careful when you're when you're running this and know your c s s inside out to make sure you don't screw things up right yeah
0: definitely, and a lot of a lot of grep searches and stuff uh, <laughs> Before you delete that stuff,
2: <laughs> right? Right. Oh, uh, this is co- wow. This is great. i have not. I actually have never do- looked at the audits uh, mm-hmm. panel here. So, so like on on Chrome and the web developers, there's a whole uh, toolbar. There's a, an edits panel, and that is, really does a lot of stuff. It tells you things about cookie size and image dimensions, and you know. Yeah browser caching and that kind of stuff. So this is
0: very useful. Yeah. Tools of <laughs> this stuff is so crazily like advanced compared to the days of Firebug, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, <man.
2: laughs> so you also you guys do a lot of uh graphing of stuff. You talk about various tools that you use for graphing. What kind of stuff do you do you graph and what why do you do it how does it help you?
0: Um graph graph everything is my suggestion. <laughs> If you need something, you know, sometimes you may not need it now, but you want to see it later, but just graph as much as uh, you can. Uh, We use something called Graphite, which is is specifically designed for for that, where you, you run a Graphite server and you can just throw data at it. And then it has APIs for pulling that data back out into nice little graphs.
2: So what, what kind of data do you guys graph then?
0: Um, we we do how many CSS selectors our style sheets have. Um, let me see. I'll pull it up. Uh, we'll, we'll graph when JavaScript throws browser errors. Mm-hmm. Uh, we graph um, the size of our... Uh, the size of our style sheets and the size of our uh, JS bundle, how many how many tag rules we have, how many universal selectors we have, um, basically you name it. Right.
2: right. How do you guys tra- How do you guys track a, a JavaScript error? Do you, Do you have some kind of reporting mechanism that sends back, or do you are you Yeah, uh,
0: I mean you, you can you can create a, a quick little. Uh, Check on your in your JavaScript uh, bundle or, bundle that l- listens for any kind of error thrown or anything, and we'll just report that to an API once it's once it's been thrown. <laughs>
2: right, right, cool. Wow, that's useful.
1: Awesome. Well, I think it's a good time to uh, to bring these uh, bring things to a close. Uh, one question, John, though, is that we mm-hmm. always ask our guests is. Um, uh, what are you most passionate about and since you've been with the industry since you know GeoCities, uh you know, you know, through, you know and so on and so you've seen a lot of things going on and you know' just talking about the tools that like mm-hmm. today you know it's it's so much more advanced than it was uh, then uh what are you uh passionate about these days like what gets you going on uh,
0: uh, I, I I like to describe myself sometimes when i'm talking to uh, family members or, or people who don't really understand the whole web uh, experience, and they ask me, "What do I do?" I kind of I describe it as a little bit of I, I like to see myself as a carpenter who crafts like fine furniture. You know, I enjoy I enjoy looking at um, how things are built and and um, putting things together in such a way that are you know very clean and efficient and. Aren't going to just fall apart when you like set, set a, a dish on it or something, right? Right. Awesome.
1: So, uh, and, and how can people uh, find you on Twitter or Facebook? or, um, or I'm
0: Twitter yeah. Twitter.com slash John Rohan. Uh, um, and I'm John Rohan on most things. That's J O N R O H A N. Cool.
1: And what's your uh, GitHub uh, uh, handle then? Hey
0: J- John, John Rohan. Cool. J O N R O H N. Cool,
1: awesome. Well, thank you so much for for being with us today.
0: Oh, thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, thanks, John. It's great talking to you.
0: Definitely.
1: Our thanks to John Rohan for joining us on and bringing Space. Thanks to uh, Chris from Canada for pushing the buttons behind the scenes. You can follow Chris on Twitter at iChris on your iDevice of choice. And thanks to you, the listeners. We agree if you could raise up on iTunes. In addition to missioning us on Twitter and Facebook, iTunes reviews do help us get the word out about the show. As always, check the show notes at nonbringingspace.tv for all links and sites discussed during the episode.